This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good morning. I am Tara Carter from Clovis, New Mexico. And I'm Lindsay Fitch from Boulder, Colorado. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for May 26th, episode 2442. This episode is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. Good Tuesday morning to you, and I do mean a good Tuesday morning. Well, if you insist on being accurate about it. You know, only somebody with perfect comedic timing could produce this much energy in one shot. You gotta learn that your time in the saddle ain't as rough as a life in between. Well, thank you for joining us on the fourth Tuesday of the month. You can find us on horsesinthemorning.com. You can look for the Carter Ranch Horse Western Day icon in the middle of the page to find past episodes. And today we are also joined by Glenn. So it's been a while, Glenn. Hi, guys. It's good to talk to you again. It has been a while. I haven't hung out Western World in a while. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, so I got to ask you, Tara, you've been down there and you have how many children now? 14, 15? Something like that. <laughs> three. 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 How's it been locked yeah. up with three kids in there in the ranch? It's been good. Uh, we've, we've had more time, like we've been more flexible. So sometimes we'd have to wait till they got out of school to have them come out and ride. So now it works out really great. We can time it better with the heat of the day. And plus we just got, uh, we just finished building a square pin and we got a bunch of new dirt in. And so they're in heaven, right? Like we got extra and put a little sand pile over to the side. So it's going, it's going good so far. So what's the advantage of a square pen as opposed to a round pen? Well, I am not the person to ask that question. Uh, (laughs) When Trevor comes on later, we'll talk about that. (laughs) Okay, good, because I've heard negatives about a square pen, so that's why I asked. Uh, Well, this is more for cutting, so uh, I think, I don't know. So you really want to trap the cow in the corner. That's that's the idea. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, actually, ours is like, it's a square pen, but then we built gates in the corners so we could make it less cornery. Uh, Anyway... (laughs) Yeah, wrong person to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> and how are things in Colorado? Are they opening up a bit? Yeah, things in the last few weeks have really started to open up. It's still pretty quiet, like in the evenings. The roads are getting busier, but still pretty quiet and more people eating out. And I wonder if Colorado's um, going to see the tourists it has in the past in the summer. Yeah. It'll be super interesting to see how many people it brings in or not. And like just even our local community is so outdoors active that they've had to close down even like they had to close down Boulder Creek in downtown Boulder because it was so crowded and people couldn't couldn't regulate and couldn't follow the rules and all the different things. So there's been several local spots that people have actually had to they had to close down because they were too busy. That's so what I was wondering, because, you know, Colorado is one of those states where you get outdoors. And I think what's going to happen this year 
travel-wise from all the we do a travel show here in Florida, so I also read all the travel stuff. And and what they're saying is people are just going to stay closer to home or do road trips as opposed to flying. So, you know, the <laughs> so the Rocky Mountain National Park could be flooded with people. It it could. I've seen a couple of Facebook posts from um, some people I went to high school with, and they they're like doing an RV trip from L.A. back home to Colorado with the kids, the cat, the dog, <laughs> you know, they're like, and then the, the couple of the other people commented, like, we were thinking about doing this across, across the U.S. to go visit our family. Like, let us know how it goes. <laughs> I do think so. RV rentals are going to go way up this summer. I think if you're in yeah. the RV rental business, you're going to be doing better this yeah. year. So, Tara, do you plan on going any place? Do you plan on hanging around or do you have a show that's going to be starting soon? Yeah, we have the NRCHA Derby. Um, it was the end of the very first part of June. It was, it has been held in Paso Robles, California for, I think, eternity. Um, and because California is not opening up as quickly, they have moved it to Scottsdale. So we're actually headed to Scottsdale, oh, you know, kind of a week from, in, in, I don't know, like 10 days. So we're headed there. In your RV? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna rent a house. Uh, that's typically what we do is we rent a you know a VRBO, and that's been interesting. Looking at different houses uh, is like some of them now offer advertise as sanitized. Oh yeah, we we were looking for an Airbnb, and they're they're, they're big disclaimers. We do this and we do that, and we scrub the yeah. floors with peroxide and you know whatever. But it yeah. was funny. Bring your own sheets. I noticed a lot of them were like we're not providing sheets and towels. You bring your own. Uh, oh, so I thought that's, I thought that's that, smart. Yeah, I thought that was, and you know what? If I was going, I'd bring my own anyway. <laughs> so yeah, it's like now <laughs> we were supposed to go to a show this weekend, um, but we just needed to change our plans. And be- especially before us going to this big derby, we thought, you know, let's don't pack too much in. And we were talking about like we don't know what it's going to be like when we get there, as far as food like where we can go and eat or, you know, grocery stores and all that. So we thought one thing we don't normally do is stock up on groceries and everything. So we talked about before this show, we'll probably like plan our meals and buy all the groceries like we were going camping, <laughs> but even though we're going to be in a town. So I don't know, it'll be really interesting to see how to navigate a new place. I know a lot of the uh, shows on the English side are are either cutting out food altogether or they're doing boxed. You know, box kind of box lunch kind of things, uh, where you buy them and they're already made. You know, that kind of thing. I know that a lot of them, a lot of the reports, early reports I've seen of people going to lower level shows, there were just no food. Yeah. Uh, are you? Are is the Western side also going to register ahead of time and trying to keep people out of the office? You're, you're already pre-registered. Well, this one that we were the, the Derby's always that way. You got to, you know, the NRCHA, you pretty much it's such a big event that you've got to be pre-registered. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one that we were going to this weekend, it was the same pre-register, you know, you had to fill out a, re- a waiver form and basically you showed up at the office to give them your check and pick up your back number. You know, that was pretty much the maximum contact that they wanted to have. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. We'd, we've gone to another event uh, that was like, it felt completely normal. Um, have you seen so, one cowboy hat with a mask on? Uh, <laughs> well, no, but, <laughs> I was, I but, <laughs> <laughs> but let me tell you. So, 
So Trevor, before all of this, Trevor asked me, he's been asking me, uh, we, we're like a, on where we do this deal with Columbia, like we're members of their pro team. And he's been asking me to get him those neck gaiters so that mm-hmm. he can have some sun protection. And so anyway, Trevor is out there riding in the arena with a mask all the time. And it's just like, uh, you know, it, we don't need one out here. Oh, wait, wait, wait. That's not what you're doing. Like it's, <laughs> it's kind of a weird shift. <laughs> so, I have seen, seen a lot of people riding with those and, and more and more. And finally, hor- the horse world has a use for all of the bandanas that my wife must have a hundred. Yes. And, you know, so finally there's a <laughs> use for other than on her head. Uh, so. Yep. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to hijack your show. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's all relevant. You know, it's, it's relevant in the Western and the English. It's, it's. It's relevant. I want to picture the first <laughs> cowboy with the with the mask on, though. Okay, I want to see that. So, get that yeah. if you see any at the show. I want to. One of our clients, he's so he's just such a kind guy, and he was telling us that. So, and he would wear a cowboy hat, and he was like, "I went into Dollar General the other day, and I peeked my head in, and I said, do I need to wear a mask?'" And they said, "Yes, sir." Anyway, so he put his mask on and came in. But then, like he said, six more people came in and didn't wear one. So he thought, well, uh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you know, I Uh, think the Dollar General people are really not wanting to get into that fight. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think Walmart took a stance, right? Walmart said it's not our job to enforce the law. Yeah, and I was at the Walmart. I went at like 7 o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning, which is when I usually do my grocery shopping because there's nobody in there. I don't have... In in Ocala, we have this problem where old people tend to drop their cart in the middle of the aisle and then just walk away. What? Yeah, but they just walk (laughs) over to look at something and they are (laughs) completely oblivious to everything else. So it takes forever to shop here because everybody's 90. So uh, I always go at 7 in the morning and and probably 75% of the people I saw had masks on. But that I would expect for the 7 in the morning crowd. You know, so... Interestingly enough here, and I think it, you know, we're we're a very rural area. When our governor said, okay, we're opening back up, but you've got to wear masks, I would say 70% of the people in the store were wearing masks. And then five days later, less people. Like, I actually feel like New Mexico has had it because we're one of the most shut down and one of the least, one of the most sparsely populated. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm surprised. I kind of expected us not to be that rebellious as quickly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get on this non-COVID okay. talk here today. Okay. <laughs> Good. Well, to well today on today's show, where we'll be going over a couple other topics. All right, we're gonna have Trevor on in just a little bit, and he's gonna go into his third segment, and we're gonna get to talk to him a lot about training in the Hackmore. And then, Tara, you guys have some cool programs that you are doing currently at home. Um, what is your current one? It's Is it called Hope Is Not Canceled? And can you tell us a little bit about what that is and uh, what you're doing with it? Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of one way that we have adjusted is uh, we do a program uh, for different rescue organizations across the country. And uh, it involves training, you know, kind of getting their teams on, on board and then we all join up for a couple of clinics uh, each time of year to be, you know, put into practice what we've been learning. And so we've had to move all of those toward toward the end. And then plus some of the people who who volunteer at those organizations can't get involved because they, you know, because of social distancing, they can't be out there as much or at all. And so we ended up kind of re 
structuring a little bit of our program and we turned it into a not challenge. So we call it hope is not canceled K N O T and all the different organizations across the U S they, uh, or we're able to turn it into a fundraiser. So what we do is, you know, you sign up, you join, you can sign up at two different levels to join the challenge and you pick whatever organization you want your enrollment fee to go to. And a hundred percent goes to those organizations. And so we have like a full, you know, everybody, wants to learn certain knots, but we went all out when we produced the video and broke it down into slow-mo and all this. So anyway, you learn how to tie, you know, the kind of the four main knots that we use around here and in the program. And you, uh, you learn how to tie the knot and then you take a quick video of yourself tying the knot 60 seconds or less. Cause you gotta, you know, be good at it. And then you upload that and then we draw for winners and we give away t-shirts and hats. And anyway, it's been a really good way to help everybody stay connected, uh, to their organizations, maybe when they can't. And also when fundraising, you know, is really down for those guys in some way, it gives us an opportunity to give something for, for your donation, but your donation still goes a hundred percent to those organizations. So it's, it's been really fun uh we've got people you know tying their bathrobe <laughs> bathrobe belt to their ironing board you know because they can't they don't have a horse at home and uh, we've got some people like the dog is attached to the other end you know making it really difficult anyway it's it's pretty entertaining so <laughs> but yeah so that's kind of what we've been doing on uh, on top of just chipping away and keep riding horses so and what about you you've been doing some exciting stuff um, well, a little bit, <laughs> I've, uh, just been driving some horses and working with some horses locally here. Uh, it seems universally around our area, trailer loading is the theme of the month. So, uh, that's been kind of fun and interesting helping people with that. And then I will, when, when, let's see, when was it last week, I guess, um, I needed all my horse's teeth floated, so I asked one of the vets that works with my dad if she would teach me how to float their teeth, and she thought I was crazy and asked why, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but I just felt like it was a missed opportunity, like, even though I'm kind of in this, like, nucleus of, you know, vets being around, like, my dad and the people that he works with, and I have several friends that are vets now and or in vet school that will be graduating, is... I was like, well, even though I have all these people around to take care of it for me, it would be nice to know how to do it. Like, I feel like that's going to be a missed opportunity in the future to be like, what? Your dad was a vet and you didn't learn how to do all this cool stuff. So, you know, I know that doesn't qualify me as like going through vet school or different things (laughs) like that. But um, it was actually really cool because I just thought I've always just heard so much about like how much bad floating can cause like such big problems and so many horses. And so I just like kind of made as like, I think Tara, you always use this expression, like a molehill into a mountain, right? I just thought it was going to be so hard and really challenging and like above my intellectual capabilities and all these different things. And it ended up being super, super, super cool. And it was like, just really neat to be able to like feel in your own horse's mouth and know how your horse rides and know, you know, what are the things that they are positive about and what are the things that they struggle with or they have some reactions to and to just feel, you know, how sharp they were to start with and then where they ended when you got done. And um, so that was really neat. And then just kind of learning about, like, I guess if there's anything I've learned about myself in the last year, it's pretty much I have to learn everything backwards, meaning like from 
more the end point to the beginning point. Mm. Because when I try to start at the beginning, I have a hard time, like for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because I'm dyslexic, but you know, like if I had probably started trying to just learn it out of a book or like just read the book first, that there's no way I ever would have made it to the stage of like, well, let me handle the tools and do it. But I'm such a <laughs> yeah. hands-on person. So, you know, it was still very basic level, you know, I, we didn't go into all the terminology and all the different, you know, like pathology and anatomy and all those different important things with it too. But I feel like if I get at least more hands-on experience, then when I start to add more in the learning phase of it for, um, for like actually like going and learning it in the books or different things like that, that it'll be a little bit more achievable because I'll just have a, a basis to connect the two really easily. So, so yeah, yeah, that's kind of fun looking into, I just started trying to research some courses about, you know, where you can get accredited and how to do that and the cost. And, you know, oh, cool. there's also a lot of, um, I think there's, it's just is also complicated, I think, based on like which state you can do it in and the regulations with the veterinary medicine. And then obviously there's um, some pretty strict, I think, rules around what, what you can do around administering sedation or using sedation and things like that. So I just yeah. have more to research and more to learn. Well, do you remember when we went to that Charmaine James clinic in... Grand Junction. Uh, yeah, Grand Junction. So mm -hmm. we we go to that clinic and one well, I've have I know nothing about barrel racing but you know I wanted to go. And she gets on your horse which is just impressive like the fact that she gets on some of the things she gets on. And then she takes him around the barrels and you, she brings your horse back to you and then she she then she sticks her hands in the horse's mouth, right? And she's like, oh, I think he's, you know, you've got some sharp points here and that matches up with the way I felt him turn around the left barrel. And so, you know, set up your appointment. Do you remember that? And I thought, what? And I just thought it was so cool that she has achieved what she has as, you know, a rider and a trainer. And she, you know, was learning, you know, she was connecting the dots on multiple levels. And sure enough, we take him in a, you know, this, I could have been swindled, but I wasn't. <laughs> uh, she, you know, then we scheduled our appointment and then we got, I think that was the first time I actually had ever put my hand in the horse's mouth and felt what she was talking about. And they adjusted those things. And now we actually, that is who we use. Uh, we use a gal that studied with that guy. Yeah. Um, as our, you know, and we trust her completely to for our young horses and our older horses and our show horses, and that to me that was one of the first comprehensive. What's I don't know what the word is, but like how you're saying, you know, you you kind of rather than seeing the books and the theory, that was the first time it really opened up for me, thinking of you know a better understanding of how it all connects. Even though you know it connects, it just it clicked more for me that time. Yeah, that's like been my current motivation lately is that I really want to be able to be like a more versed horseman because I just feel like there's a lot of times where I show up at a client's place and there is like a behavioral problem in the sense of like the horse won't get in the trailer because they're actually like genuinely nervous and don't trust getting in the trailer is in their best interest, right? So you have to like break down break down the different pieces and help them understand and gain their trust and confidence and understanding. And then like 
the jump in the trailer. But then I've been like running into more horses lately where like you just start to look at their feet or like, you know, their body and start like you can just tell like, you know, I touched a horse's face the other day and he was super, super, super sore in his jaws and like couldn't really open his mouth and couldn't like, you know, push it side to side and like the normal chewing pattern and and he's, he's a horse that can be pretty reactive. And I was like, yeah, I kind of feel like we're already doing everything we possibly can on the behavior side. Like there are other things that are contributing to what his behaviors are showing us. And like for a long time, I used to think, well, that was like, you know, kind of like, oh yeah. Like, you know, like you get a lot of people that are like, no, he's in pain. He needs the chiropractor. He needs this, he needs the, the, and then you're like, no, you're actually, your horse is just kind of rude and spoiled and needs more manners. And, but like, there's other horses now that like, you know, more of the clientele that I've been around is like, they're actually doing, they're around good trainers and they're around good horsemanship and they're like trying to execute those things well but they're still running into problems and then like when so when you step to the side uh and you start to like call in other experts that can do those things it's like oh yeah he was really you know sore here or yeah this is major lit's going on there or you know it just would just be nice is to have that information and that knowledge to be able to to help more horses and help more clients and not just like continue to beat your head against the wall. with <laughs> just the one and only thing that you know how to do. And, um, you know, and it just continues to support the client and the horse and the community. So that's been my, my latest motivation is I want to learn how to do all that stuff so that I can be of more use or direct people, uh, to somebody of that expertise that can help them. Yeah. Well, you've also been going to a few brandings and it's definitely branding season. So uh, tell us a little bit about the branding that you went to. Cause then you got a pretty cool opportunity after that too, right? Hey, before you guys head into branding season, let's hear from our sponsor. Oh, yeah. And then I do want to hear about this because I didn't know there was a thing called branding season. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's hear from Amigo. <laughs> Another long, tough fly season is right around the corner. And the only choice for this fly season are the Amigo range of fly sheets because they're built tough and feature the latest in design comfort, bug-busting technology, and sun-protecting fabrics. And the Amigo range has a fly sheet for every budget, from the Amigo Bug Buster Vamoose with no fly zone to the Amigo Bug Rug Fly Sheet. Find Amigo fly sheets at your local or online retailer, or you can visit horseware.com. That's horseware, H-O-R-S-E-W-A-R-E.com. I like that they call one of their product lines Vamoose. <laughs> I've said that to a lot of, a lot of critters. <laughs> Vamoose. Particularly snakes here lately. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking of a season, that's a season where you live, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so branding season is, you know, it's the time of year where the calves are old enough, uh, but not too old, so that you can uh, gather everything up and uh, and brand them so that everybody knows they're yours. And then if you take them in to sell them, that they know that they belong to somebody. 
and that you didn't just pick them up to bring them in for a profit. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's been branding season. So, yeah, Lindsay, tell us a little bit about where you went lately. Uh, just here locally, I had um, some friends that just invited me to their local ones, which was really fun to just go and be a part of it because um, it's definitely like a closed invite type deal, like family, close friends, or uh, things like that. So sometimes I don't always get to go. So when I do, I'm always really excited. Uh, and yeah, it was just really fun. We got to, I don't know why I think it's so fun, but it's just, <laughs> I like the camaraderie of like everybody giving each other kind of like a bad time in the best way and like kind of cowboy humor. I really like that part of it. And then it's just super fun to like be on your horseback with friends and go out and gather and then help sort or um, get the whole day going and then just kind of seeing how the day unfolds like it's kind of hard work but it's I don't know I always just think it's super fun and it's really rewarding and um, one of the places that we got to go we got to ride through some like really really pretty country like almost like right out in front of like where the flat irons are basically here and it's just really neat, like, that piece of property has been in that family's um, family for a long time. And so some of the people that are around my age, they were, like, we were riding and gathering, and they were telling all kinds of fun stories about when they were little and how they'd come out and what kind of games they'd play, and they'd come out and come camping. And, you know, when you'd go out in this pasture, you'd think that, like, you were just in the middle of nowhere, and, you know, you're really <laughs> not that far from town, but... You know, it just has, like, an amazing backdrop, and that's definitely one of the ways I used to drive when I would go to school every day, and I used to, like, do this funny thing when I was little where I would, like, pretend you were on horse, and you would, like, jump over all the fences, <laughs> like, when you were driving on the school bus, you know? Yeah. Like, National Velvet or, you know, and there'd be cows, and, like, you know, you'd be, like, riding your horse out in the pasture and up and down the hills and through all the cows. Like, that was kind of my little imaginary game I played when I was on the school bus, so... It was just kind of, it was really fun to be able to go and actually ride those properties with them and gather their cows and, you know, be a part of it. And um, so, yeah, so that was kind of neat. And then I, I was kind of, because I've not branded a whole lot, I'm not super skilled in all of, all of the jobs. So I kind of was just like the filler in person and would help here and there and whatever needed done. And then I tried to take um, some pictures on my iPhone, which didn't, some of them turned out my screen is actually broken on my iPhone. So I'm pretty <laughs> happy with the ones that I got considering half of my screen is black. Um, but um, one of the local ladies who is a part of the our Boulder County Horsemen's Association, she asked me to write an article for their blog or their e-news e on, on those families. So that's one of my plans this week is to go and meet with them and some of those photos will be featured and just kind of get a little bit more about what's their family history and how long they've been in our area and ranching and farming and uh yeah so open to any cool questions that might be good for asking those those guys on that article if you have any well that was one thing I was thinking about is Glenn you were like well I haven't heard about branding season and when you were talking about kind of to me, you know, purpose-driven learning, Lindsay, about floating teeth. For me, branding, like to me, that's the goal. Like, yes, I would love to, you know, 
be better at showing ranch horse and better at showing cow horse. But to me, branding like brings it all together for me. It's the heritage. It's the scenery. Well, it's where it's it all the, started, right? I mean, that's the reason yeah. that you did all this. <laughs> yeah. But it also, you know, you've got to have a really great horse and you've got to be able, because no situation is the same. And I don't know if you've seen those shirts. It's like, I'm sorry for what I said when we were working cattle. Like it just, it, it changes in a, in an instant. And even while it's changing, it's changing. And then you've got a rope and Trevor always says, we actually do a clinic that teaches people, you know, kind of all the scenarios or as much as we can about, you know, branding so that you can, because you do have to like grow up with it and, you know, be invited. And then if you're not sort of in that circle, like you never get a chance to experience this part that is the core of so much. But then, then you also, um, like you have to work a rope and you have to be able to ride one handed and your horse has to know what to do. And then you have to, you still also have to sort of ride a cutting horse because there's comes time when you have to sort, you know, the moms from the baby. Anyway, just like all the, all these things, it just encompasses everything. So, um, whenever I first started learning how to rope, it was all for, like this. And to me, learning to train my horse better is for this. So, uh, but there are so many rules and etiquette and different, you know, that come with the tradition and the heritage. And like, I don't even know half of them, except the only one I know is you don't ride in front of the boss. Like that's the only one I know. And I've definitely messed that up too. Uh, (laughs) But maybe that's why I know it now. So Uh, it's sort of like fox hunting. You don't ride in front of the guys in the red coats never good yeah 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 Yeah, oh one of the ones i went to there's a real handy guy there who is being really nice and and helping i was like i don't know what i'm doing so i am free to take all the advice you have to give me because i want to do it right and i i want to make sure i'm invited back and yeah and that was the first thing as he said and he was like rule number one never ride in front of anybody else and I was like, oh, I do know that one. And if he told me that, that probably means I've already done it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, oh, no. I've kind of beat myself up for that one all morning. But I was like, well, okay. <laughs> maybe I didn't ride in front of anyone. And he just thought maybe I didn't know that. So he's going to make sure I didn't mess it up. <laughs> yeah. Which I still might. I also feel like that's a rule that you can practice, you know, anywhere. Like if you're in a circle of people or you're, you know, doing a thing, you can, you could just go behind instead of walking across the circle of whatever to get the rope you wanted. You can just go around behind. Like it's, it's a good thing you can practice (laughs) no matter, no matter where you are. So yeah, there's, I mean, and just depending on where you go, I guess there's different things. So it would be interesting to know if like when you're writing your article, is there anything that those particular families do that are like their rules and etiquette or, you know, cause there's probably some general rules and etiquette, but I wonder if there's any specific to them. And I was going to ask you this, like we know some families in West Texas that they all kind of run their cattle together on some land and then they get together for the branding. And the way it works is like they take turns roping or, you know, everybody's roping. Cause sometimes you miss and then the next, the next guy goes in. But basically when one calf comes they brand these, you know, gets branded with this family's brand. And then the next, so they just wrote the next calf that comes in, they use the other family's brand. So, uh, it, hopefully it all evens out. Like everybody gets the same number of bulls, deers, heifers, you know, all that kind of thing. So it would just be interesting to know 
what specific rules and etiquette might be for that family. Yeah, those are all Some of good their practices. Those are all good questions. And it was different how they ran all three because it was, even though they're all, I think one of the families was good family friends with the first one we went to. And then the second and third one we went to, they're all related. And like some of the original families here that like helped homestead and ranch these areas and have for like a long time. So it was just interesting to see the difference between all three because everybody did it a little bit differently at, at each one. Um, so that is, you know, just like anybody's, I guess, soup recipe, it is all, <laughs> all a little bit different and individualized. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and there's so many different jobs too. Like, so, you know, it's like the, to, the one that you really work toward, right. Is to be the person that can be a part of the roping crew, right? Like that's to me, that's like, okay, I'm going to a branding and I get to rope more than once at the branding. So like, to me, that's the best job, but you got to do all these other jobs to, you know, work your way up to that too. So we, we could talk a little bit about the different jobs. Like there's obviously the person that ropes, but, and then it too, it depends some places like in Texas, they typically just rope by the heels and then bring them over to the crew by the heels, but more out in the West like Western side of the States, they'll head and heel. And that makes it a lot easier on the ground crew. Um, so what did they do where you guys were? Where we were at is everybody that roped them. Um, they healed the calves and then they drug them to the fire. And then they did, they all used a Norfolk, which is like a, it's kind of like a, a little modified squeeze shoot. <laughs> on the ground for lack of a better term for like not knowing how to describe what it is, but it's like a little welded apparatus that they have on a rope and like a, a tire inner tube. So it stretches and it just drops down around um, the calves neck behind its, behind its head and its jaws so that it'll help hold the calf. And then somebody will help like usually take their leg and hold them while they castrate them and brand them and things like that. And, um, but it just helps helps them to where the rope on the with the person that's roped their heels can help keep it tight. Then it's a little bit easier for the ground crew to be able to help hold them too. So um, that was how they did all three of those. And I've I've only been to a few brand. I've not been to very many brandings, but the few that I have been to, four out of the five used those Norforks, and then the fifth one that I went to, which was one of the very first ones when I was like in high school, they would rope them and then you'd have two people, um, like work the rope and, and the calf and then like kind of roll them as they came and then you'd sit on them and hold them. So you had one person on the front holding them down and one person in the back holding their leg and then they'd take the rope off and then go rope you another one. So how do they do them where you guys do them? Well, typically in our area, they just heal them and bring them to the fire. But what we do is we head and heal, and then we set the ropes where we hold their we hold their hind feet and their front feet. So that way, there's nothing around their neck, but everybody, like you know, we keep them still, and it's not as hard on the crew. So sometimes when they just bring them in by the heels, somebody's got to hold them. Uh, but the way we set it up that, you know, we'll hold it. The horses do the holding, basically. So we're holding them by the front feet and the hind feet. And 
you know, a lot of people use just to shoot. So that's a lot faster and it's quicker. Uh, but we prefer where everything's in a herd. And then that way the calves stay calmer and, you know, everybody, it's kind of just more like they're out to pasture. But uh, then they sometimes they don't even see the rope come and then they, they come out, they get doctored, they go back in. And it just seems to be a lower stress way to do it. So that's that's how we like to do it. Uh, even though there's so many different ways. And then, of course, there's all the other jobs, right, where you ear tag them and vaccinate. Um, and then there's certainly the job <laughs> of cooking. You know, it's kind of a cool thing that uh, everybody's out there early morning and riding, and then they work all day, and then hopefully you get done by noon uh, or before it gets too hot, and then everyone brings out their best everything, their best, their best beans, their best cobbler, their, you know. I don't know. I feel like the meals are just so good at, <laughs> at brandings. They taste extra good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're certainly working for it. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And then we talked We talked about the other job, which at least none of us ever want, and that's counting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do not put the dyslexic girl in charge of counting. <laughs> Does not go well. You'll have to ask Jen, but I feel like when she was here for that class, for the deal we did with the auditors, Glenn, that uh, – like every five seconds, somebody's going, well, how many are there? How many are there? And just like sheer panic. Like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, uh, do you so have any funny. favorite stories, Lindsay? From Oh yeah. So this was some people that lived up the road from us. And that was when their little girl, she was, I think probably like three and a half or four. She was still little. And, um, her mom had gotten up real early in the morning to make breakfast for uh, for everyone that was going to come and gather and, you know, brand and do everything. So they were up at like five, five thirty, and making breakfast and she's over at the, at the kitchen table and she's eating her cereal and, you know, she's in her jammies and she's all tired. She's like, mama, do <laughs> you know what I'm going to do today? She's like, what's that? So I'm going to sit on the fence, drink my milky and watch the boys get busted. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. It was just like, we got an old timer in a four-year-old body, right? Like she's going to sit on the fence with the old timers who are going to drink beer and watch the young kids get knocked around and watch the show to And she's going to sit there and drink her milky and get in on it. I just mm. thought it was so funny. Uh, yeah, what about you? Like, Do you have any good ones? Uh, no, I really, you know... There's one that always comes to mind. It was kind of, it was one of my first, it was my first branding. Uh, and it was our, like, you know, dad would just hire guys to come and, and work the cattle here. But, you know, I always wanted to be handy enough to be a part of that crew. And then, um, so it was my first one and Trevor had been teaching me, you know, all the things that I was supposed to do. And then we still hired the other guys to come and they were kind of giving Trevor a hard time, like, yeah, yeah, you know, who are you? And you study with that Pat Pirelli guy. You know, they were really giving it to him. Anyway, he just walks in and, like, throws this big fancy loop because he can really um, he can really do it. And uh, anyway, they just they stopped bothering him the rest of the time. <laughs> so that was kind of my favorite. And that's probably one of the things that I love about branding is, like you say, you know, everybody's giving each other a hard time. And uh, it just makes everybody better you know, and have, have a good time. But also like, there's just so many handy things that happen and the way different people work the ropes and like all the wrecks that could happen, but don't happen. And anyway, 
probably my, I guess probably my favorite stories are just, you know, for us, it's about gaining the skills to do it. You know, uh, our branding is not full of like really handy people, but we're learning how to do it and getting our skills better and having a good time. And anyway, we actually, we do our branding clinic, uh, in May, but we had to move. It actually should be going on right now, but we moved it because of everything that's been going on. So, you know, we've been watching everyone posting all their pictures and their videos, you know, and it's like making you miss it even more right now. Um, and luckily we calve a little bit later, so it didn't affect us to move it. But uh, I thought it, you know, there's, I love watching um, a few accounts, uh, Emily McCartney, you know, she, you talk oh, about the generation. Yeah. Like she, you know, she's from a generation of ranchers and uh, you know, she just captures a lot of like the generation type stuff. I think they're doing construction outside. I don't know if you can hear that. A little bit. I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> See if they can pause that. I don't know. Are there any that you like to follow? Um, well, I think we've just, we kind of like bounced some of those ideas back and forth yesterday, but um, the there's a couple different accounts. I mean, anything with like the branding and the lifestyle and those are super cool. But I think some of the other ones that we had tagged were, um, I can't ever, I don't know that I'll say it right, but Orana uh, Quincy, their account's really kind of neat and just like uh, pretty comical how they like even like write some of their tags on the photos of like <laughs> what you have to look out for, or what they're doing. And um, so that's really cool. And then you sent me a really cool one that I hadn't been following. Um, who is that? It was Peter, Peter yeah, Robbins. Peter Robbins, mm-hmm. Peter Robbins yeah. art. Yeah. yeah, that was really cool. Like, and I hadn't been following that account until you had sent that to me. And they're just like so cool. I think they were branding out on the Bell Ranch and he was there and they have like a chuck wagon with horses and they're driving it. And then they've got, you know, like a cavy of horses behind them and then people driving the horses with the wagon and they're like headed off to their next thing. I'm like, how do you get to go be a part of that? Like, that is so cool. I would do that every day, every day if I could. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I always joke. Like I, I feel like I should have lived in the pioneer days, but with internet (laughs) and then someone else added, yeah. And plumbing. And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. That too. (laughs) Oh yeah. Not too. Yeah. And then I think one of the like, you know, for community, for comedic accounts is like, of course, Dale Brisby, right? Like, and he like gets to go and ride out with some of like the big guys doing cool stuff with them. And there was one I saw the other day that he had posted and he was like, you know, we've been ranching, we've been ranching really hard. I ranch so hard. I ranched a shoe off. (laughs) It's just like, you know, just that kind of comedy is just kind of, it's just funny. It keeps you laughing. So and that's the kind of stuff that it's just full of. Like the the days are just full of that kind of stuff. So anyway, okay, so I have to well, ask you. I I, I got to interrupt. Uh, so if it's the choice between the internet or the bathroom, Tara, which is it? Uh, oh, <laughs> you can have one, well, but not the other. You can't have you can't have civilized plumbing or showers or a toilet or the internet. You get one or the other. Okay, well, well, I feel like that's a population question, right? So if I've got more people around. I'm going to choose the plumbing. If I've got less people around, I'm going to choose the internet. You have three kids. I think I'd choose the plumbing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's I, funny. Well, I don't even know. Like, 
<laughs> my kids are comfortable with the non-plumbing arrangement. But, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, and they so also funny. announced it. I don't know why. Like, Philip actually this morning came in. I swear it was 3 a.m. Mom, I got to go to the bathroom. Okay, just go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to know this. <laughs> there, Did you there lose was it? A time, <laughs> yeah. There was, there was a time that I had to babysit all of Tara's three kids. And I've, like, babysat, like, one or two of them, like, as they've, like, come along in their years. But, like, I hadn't been turned loose with all three of them. And Tara and Trevor were gone, and her parents were watching the kids, and they needed to go to some, like, fundraiser or banquet. And so I met Tara's mom at the soccer field, and she just turned me loose with all three of the kids and was like, okay, bye, we'll be back later. (laughs) And I was like, okay. Well, I was so nervous about something going wrong or, you know, like, I just nervous babysitting all three of them on the soccer fields and then like basically being in because you're convinced you're going to be in the emergency locations. room before it's over right <laughs> oh i just yeah she like might any, be, anything, be fine. right so then i lose my phone because i'm like running around trying to make sure i don't lose a child <laughs> and so i leave my phone on the soccer field and i'm like oh no and so i'm driving back to the to the ranch and I don't, I don't have anybody's numbers memorized or anything like that. And I know my dad has Tara's number and her parents' number. So I, I'm headed back to the ranch and one of Tara's kids is like, Lindsay, I've got to go to the bathroom. I've got to go to the bathroom really bad. And so I got pulled, I think I had to like pull over and like, I think it was Philip and we like hid Philip behind the bushes and behind the car door. And he went to the bathroom and, jumped right back in and (laughs) headed back to the house. And I got my dad called and I'm like, can you call them and tell them I lost my phone, but we are home and everything is mostly fine. (laughs) Do you remember the days when we actually remembered phone Uh, numbers? (laughs) Yeah. Those days seem so so long ago now. I Uh, know. Well, let's, uh, let's take another break for horseware and then we'll get Trevor on here to talk about hackamores. Sounds good of horse racing and elite equestrian sports. It's all about how to prepare and repair. IceVibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the IceVibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimize swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, IceVibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. IceVibe. You can find out more details about Ice Vibe at ice-vibe.com or horseware.com. Or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about Ice Vibe Circulation Therapy from Horseware. Well, now I know you guys started talking about Hackamore. Uh, Trevor has been on a few times, right? Yeah, we're going through a whole Bridal Up series. Uh we go through each of the stages of the Vaquero bridal horse tradition, the snaffle, the hackamore, the two rein, and the bridle. And so we're progressing through each of these series with Trevor and gaining his insight hey, on the form. Hey. How you doing? <laughs> Good. <laughs> so, you yeah, gaining his insight. I know. You did awesome. So yeah. we were just talking about what you've been doing, how you've been going through the the different series with us and you know how to make it fit your horse best and different training tips for each of them. So 
we're now on the third part of the hackamore, which is where you're, we're going to ask you to tell us what you focus on when you're training a horse in the hackamore and then what you look for, you know, in order to know that your horse is ready to progress. So what's your number one priority when training in the hackamore? My number one priority is when I gather the rain, I want to be sure that my horse's nose doesn't push away from my hand. So if you have a two foot rain and your horse pushes and makes it two foot one inch, that's a bad sign. So what I try to do, what the hackamore really helps a person do is it evaluates your horse's softness or its obedience. And what I mean by that is people have a tendency to hold and pull. And those are two things that horses uh, tend to lean on or get scared and move away from. So using the hackamore, by using rhythmic pressure, it can help the horse come off that pressure. So the number one thing I'm looking for is if my horse can keep slacking the rein and never lengthen it. That's a bad sign if your horse lengthens your reins. <laughs> It's it's interesting to me because it seems like the hackamore what what I've been learning about it is that the idea is that they you know they never lean on it but it's also kind of it's also one of the tools that they can tend to lean on the most. They sure do. And, so, and so Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, with the lean, that's where it's a tricky, tricky tool for the human to get used to because as soon as you go to it, you're going to want to throw the hackamore away. You're going to want to sit there and say, my horse feels awful and it's the tool's fault. My horse never felt like this in a snaffle or whatever I was riding him before. Whoever told me to ride in a hackamore, they're going to ruin my horse. <laughs> and, and the reason that is, is because you have to use the hackamore different than all your other tools. So that's one thing I feel like sometimes when people ride in a hackamore for the first time, they feel like, okay, yeah, this is a really great tool or it opens up a different level of communication, but then the longer they ride in it, the worse things get. So how do you prevent, how do you prevent things from getting worse in a hackamore or how do you help people prevent things from getting worse? Yep. Give it time. And so I, I don't like putting a time limit on it. But at least a dozen rides in a hackamore. And, and the biggest thing, those of y'all that are listening, how I use the hackamore, if y'all can get your hands, just spread your hands as far apart, like you're checking your wingspan. And then you look down and your horse's nose is out in front of you. That's the angle you want to use your reins. You, you make a triangle from your horse's nose all the way out there to your right hand. That's the angle you pull or bump the hackamore. What a lot of people do is they pull straight back to the horse's withers or we're so used to pulling back to our hip bone that the horse leans or it gets confused. So the hard part with the hackamore is it, it goes all the way around the horse's nose. So by pulling out to the side, it actually pulls on one side of the horse. And, and don't get the hackamore confused with a uh, side pull. Uh, the hackamore, it, it, I think it's, it's more, way more of an oval. So if I pull with my right rein, it's pulling the, the left side, the left front of my horse's nose. And so that, that's 
So when people get started on the hackamore and they're having difficulty, I just say, stay with it, stay with it and, and keep your hands wide. You, you want to use your triceps. You want to extend your arms in the hackamore more than you use your biceps and pull back. That's the first bit of advice I would recommend to somebody. What's one of the okay. things that you actually have to like break down the bump a little bit more for us? You bet. If anybody's played paper, rock, scissors, you, you, before you play, you have to sit there and balance your fist off your hand. So what I mean by bounce is you, you hit the palm of your hand and then you lift your fist. That, that is a bump. A bump is a moving motion. When people see or hear or think of a bump, they tend to still think of paper rocks. They, they throw their fist down on their palm and they leave it there. So that, that when they bump, they're, they still hang on the rain. So if you're sitting there bumping, it almost looks like if you didn't know I was on a horse, it looks like I'm trying to pull start a lawnmower or pull start a motor. I'm, I'm <laughs> pulling and releasing, pulling and releasing. I, I'm telling you, I got to give people uh, yeah. pictures because whenever they so ex- bump, ex- they hold. Yeah, it seems so exaggerated. But when you say pull, release, pull, release, like that is a really good visual for me. Yeah, and the hard part with that is sometimes, and this is not every case, most people are so used to their horses hanging on their hands or having constant contact that the horse ends up leaning on the reins. And so we we program our feel with our horse that we're okay with them hanging on us. So whenever we pull on the hackamore, the horse's nose and our hand actually go opposite directions. And so it, it's really revealed in the hackamore how much commitment your horse has to being soft. And so by using rhythm, using the bump technique, that will help your horse not lean. We all did it. I'm probably, I did it, I know for sure, in math class. I would be so interested in my horses or my teacher's teaching that I would lay my cheek on my palm. And I would act like I would be awake. And as the teacher started talking monotone, I just started to fall asleep. But then when my teacher put, you know, a, a different tone in their voice and they, they, they said, Trevor, wake up. <laughs> that, that was the bump to wake me up. So the bump helps me with my horse say, hey, there is a slack. There is a release if you're looking for it. And that's why I give you the picture of pull start the engine. Whenever I bump, I return my hand. I return my rein to the hackamore. And so my horse has nothing to lean on. So the, that's just the tricky part about the bump is it's a continuous motion. And you will see and you will find with your horse that they, will, they, they might respond very negative to it. They might throw their head in the air. They might push into it harder but if you keep that constant bump you never the human is never leaning on the rein therefore it gives the horse responsibility to find the softness and that's why i tell folks to ride at least a dozen times before they give up on the half of because it'll make a big difference in your horse and it's not a muscle it's not a big strong bump it's just a constant bump 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 yeah slack bump slack bump like it 
You bet. Yeah, yeah. I I almost have to think about the slack part just as much yeah. as I have to think about the bump part. And, and what I would tell you, Tara, too, is practice. Those of y'all that are watching, that are you know, you still may not have a hackamore yet. Go get a lead rope and tie it to a fence post. And I always tell people when I'm, you know, some people want me to ride their horses in a hackamore and introduce them. And and I tell them, don't watch the bump. Watch how much slack I offer after the bump. So I exaggerate the slack and the bump just happens. So if you get a lead rope and tie it to a fence, you, you want to sit there and bump and take the slack out of the lead rope, make it tight, and then return it to the fence so that you get to practice the bump, slack, bump, slack. Because most everybody hears the bump, 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 bump. And we tend to put a lot of pressure on the horse, not thinking we're giving it a lot of release. So always practice the bump, slack. That's what makes the hackamore so valuable is the release. You're getting me excited talking about this. I'm, there's a lot I want to talk about. I'll wait, I'll wait till y'all ask the question. <laughs> So as far as like, I mean, other than just really focusing on putting the slack and the bump and not leaning as a rider, like how do you have like a few go-to things that like, as you're riding that like you look down and you look for, or that like you should see in the loop of your reins, like how, how do you make sure you're doing what you're talking about if you're practicing this at home? Yeah. That's a great question, Lindsay, because one, one of the hard parts is we just go to the Hackamore and we, we test it out. We try it out. We go do everything we already know we can do with our horses. And, and what I would do, Lindsay, is I would try all the things I know work really well. And so things that I'm looking for when I look down at my horse, you know, I, I want to sit there and, and think of a hula hoop. So I'm on a horse right now talking to y'all. And I think of a hula hoop but it's out in front of me. It's not around my body. And the hula hoop goes from my horse's nostrils all the way around to my hands. So it's, it's a little bit smaller hula hoop. If you ride a quarter horse, probably a big <laughs> hula hoop. If you ride a one book, but what I'm getting at is you want to see if the hackamore brings your horse's nose inside the hula hoop. So there's an imaginary perimeter piece that I'm always looking for. And, and Lindsay used a good word that like the reins. What are you looking for in your reins? I, I want to have my reins draped or have slack in them. I don't want it to be steady. I don't want it to be like telephone where you had, you know, the styrofoam cup and the string across and you had to keep it tight to talk through it. I want to have my horse giving the slack to my hand. So I like to start off with lateral flexion. I like to sit there and just get on my horse or be on the ground and bend my horse's nose around. And that's the first way I can sit there and practice my bump. And, and I use the word bump. All the letters are not capitalized. I'm not saying bump, bump, bump. I'm just saying, you know, there, might, there doesn't need to be a steady feel. There needs to be a constant rhythm to help your horse. And what you might notice when you do that, Lindsay, is your horse might misunderstand it and pull away from you. But you just keep your pressure on in the bumping fashion until your horse gives you some slack and and things that i look for over time with the hackamore it teaches my horse to stay inside the hula hoop the hula hoop at first is from your horse's nostrils to your hands that's, that's how round it is that's how big it is but eventually your horse stays inside the hackamore so the slightest movement of your rein 
your horse yields to the hackamore and stays really soft and, and really committed to putting flesh in it. So I'd, I'd look for your horse, test out the thing that you do well. If you can back your horse up, if you can turn the front end around, just guiding left and right. You want to notice the first response from your horse. When I pick up the rein, do they move away from the hackamore or do they move towards your hand? Hey, uh, that sounds easy and terrifying at the same time. It does. <laughs> like, it does. Uh, let me go out and but, see how well I'm not doing all of this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. that's, that's the hard part about it is I see a lot of folks, uh, they're comfortable with the horse leaning. And, and there's a time where I didn't even know my horses were leaning. I was, I was thinking they didn't weigh two pounds on my hand. or they, Sorry, they went from 10 pounds to two pounds, and I thought that was super light. And that was an improvement for my skill set. But as time got farther along and, and things were, were harder to achieve, somebody told me your horse needs to be the weight of your rein. They need to be lighter than your rein. And I, was, and, and I said exactly what you said, Lindsay. I said, that's kind of terrifying because what if I ride in horsehair, ultralight rein? My horse is never going to be that light. But over time, through my observations of, swapping tools and challenging my horse and challenging my feel and technique, I got to observe some improvements in my horse. My horse didn't stay that way because of learned behaviors, but I knew the feel that I was offering, my horse had the opportunity to improve. And so like when you were learning this and you were improving your horses in the hackmore were there specific people that like you would look up on the internet and you would watch them and like then take videos of your horses and try to compare to see where your horses may look or hopefully feel the same way that that person's horses would look or did you ride other people's horses like how did you kind of help build your experience and your knowledge base as you were learning so what i where i went to school uh, it, it was a lot of bridle work. A lot of horses were ridden 30 days in a snaffle, and then they were ridden in a, a bridle. So I didn't get this ride with a lot of hackamore people uh, until about, I don't know, I was into horses six or seven years. And so my horses had learned how to push on a hackamore. They'd gotten sores on their nose because of my ignorant hands. And I always thought it was a tool's fault. So the, the first couple of folks that I really got to see and admire and, and notice a good Hackamore horse was Buck Brenneman and Martin Black. And then uh, I didn't even realize it where I went to school, Lindsay, but Ray Hunt came and he rode his horse in a snaffle one day and then he rode him in a Hackamore the next day. And I didn't even know what I was seeing. So if I was observing, I would have seen it within the first year of me riding horses with Ray Hunt, but I didn't even know it. I just thought he didn't have anything in his horse's mouth. So Buck Brenneman and, and Martin Black were the first guys that I could really see uh, the change in a the horse. They, the horses just operated. They operated on that slack rein that I was telling you it's so easy to achieve uh, just by a simple bump and slack. But their horses never challenged their rein. And what I mean by challenge is, you know, when, the, when I would pull back on my horse, my horse's head would go up, their nose would go up, and then their feet would move. And, and there were just subtleties that I never recognized. And as I got to watch those guys ride their horses, and it was short glimpses, you know, it's just like the stuff that we'll learn from this conversation. We may not be able to retain everything, but we'll take little pieces here and there that will help us remember. And that's what, 
what I took away, I took these short little glimpses and I didn't, we didn't have cell phones to record and I didn't have a video camera. Um, but those little spots that I got to watch, Lindsay, they, they stuck in my mind cause I'd never seen them before. And so I strive to get my horses like that. And, and I, I guarantee you, uh, uh, probably today I'm, I'm still looking for all nice feel that those guys had pretty consistent with their horses. It's just a feel. And that's the thing. The Hackamore helps display our hand and our horse's understanding. And that's why it's such a challenging tool is because it's quite revealing. Right. And you talked about, um, like your horses getting sore and stuff like that. Like I know some like, you know, really pushy horses that have learned to lean on the halter or things like that. Like you can even kind of sore their, their face up with like the knots on the halter and things like that. And you're always trying to do a good yep. job of staying, staying this side of that, obviously when you're working with a horse. So with horses that come into your training program that already don't have as nice of a field developed as maybe some of the ones that are homegrown with you all. How do you stay, Oh, how do you stay out of, or this side of trouble with soaring one up and still helping utilize the tool and maximize what it offers? So what I try to do, I try to put them on a two day on two day off program. And so, you know, whether, whether I get an older horse or a young horse, I'm always riding them in a snapple because that, I'm very comfortable in a snaffle. I can figure out the horse's behavior uh, and help it improve in a snaffle. And so once I get the horse, I'm not going to say figured out, but once I know the horse is, you know, not, not that troubled, I'll ride it in a hackamore for two days. And then I'll go back to my snaffle and I'll ride that. And depending on how soft that horse was, if that horse was really soft in the hackamore, I may stay in the snaffle one day and then go back to the hackamore if that horse is really pushy like you said and didn't have a strong understanding then when i go back to my snaffle work me i have to have a higher expectation of softness with that horse and then i go back to the hackamore so you want to think about uh from a riding perspective how can you improve your expectation a lot Trevor to worry about and pay attention to but you what I used to so there's a guy that taught me his name was Andy Booth and I thought I you know was making some pretty good progress with my horse you know I could use my index and my thumb and just politely bring my horse's nose around to my boot and he noticed something in my horse that I didn't recognize and he went over and he grabbed a couple of my horse's tail hair out and he tied it around my rein and he asked me to pull on the, that hair and the hair would pull on the rein. Well, what I didn't notice was the initial contact my horse pulled away and it broke that horse tail. So when you go back and forth from your tools, Lindsay, when you can, and this is something I wouldn't look for in the hackamore, but just say your snaffle or the tool you ride in the most, look at the initial beginning of the conversation with your horse. Does your horse does your horse follow before there's even contact? And so that's something that I look for with horses that I get in, in that snapple. Are they, are they looking to keep it soft or are they trying to pull away from it? Does their neck move like a spring or do they hold their nose around so I can rub their eye? But the biggest thing is, is don't stay in a tool. If your horse is really strong or heavy, don't stay in that tool more than two days. Fluctuate. And so I, sometimes I'll even go back to a rope halter and then I'll go to a snapper 
and then I'll go to a hackamore. So they're all tools that require two hands, but they will help me gauge the progress of my horse. And that's just one of those things you want to learn to feel and evaluate. And, it, and it's easy for me to talk about now because I've, I've put myself in those scenarios. And like we said, it might sound a little daunting, but you've got to have a baseline. You've got to know what your horse understands pressure is, what it means to them. I think that's one of the things that I love about the whole bridle horse progression is that it is the same thing different. I mean, you talk about that a yeah. lot, same thing, different, same thing, different. And that's one of the things that when I think about a ranch horse, I go, that horse has done all, it has life experience. It's done a lot of the same things, but different. You know, that's what I, where I feel like they become such a dependable partner and can fill in for you and, and then go along with you. You bet. That's a really good expression there. Do the same thing different, you know, and, and that's what I think a lot of people try to transition from the snaffle to the bridle they they do the same thing the same way i see a lot of people you know one hand a snaffle on a green horse and the the, the rider just knows how to ride one way so if, if you're able to transition your horse from, through different tools and you understand the dynamics of your tool you will see a lot of improvement in your horse doing those same things those ordinary things start to turn into something I don't want to get too wild here, but those ordinary things start turning into extraordinary things to where you can feel your horse get it based on the tool that helped them give them the correct answer. It's like those people, Lindsay, that I got to watch ride. You know, I was watching everybody ride their horse, but it never, the picture never looked the way I'd read about it until I saw Martin Black ride and Buck Renneman. And that's when it started to strike a, accord with me and it was like that's what that book was meaning that's what those guys were meaning when they were telling me look for your horse to put slack in that ring so so much to take in and go practice um yep i have one quick question i think and then tara i think is has one for you to wrap but how how about horses that come into training that have already been like finished in the bridle, but you can tell they haven't been ridden in a hackamore? Like, what do those horses feel like, or what do they do as opposed to like a horse that has had the hackamore training and then goes to the bridle? What is kind of the differences that you see in those horses uh, when they come in? Well, one of the things. Uh, there's a softness quotient that I'm always looking for from the horse. So I'm looking for, you know, different kinds of vertical flexion. Does the horse break at the pole? Does the horse break at the withers? And how well do they soften their chin? And the hackamore can really help with all those things. And that was a lot to understand that the, the pole, a lot of people understand vertical flexion, you know, that their pole uh, down to their nose, their nose softens to the reins with, with the hackamore. What I can work on is different with the bridle. Some of those bridle horses, and the horses that have been ridden the bridle, I'm going to say they're a little stiff necks. They feel very straight from their nose to their tail. And so, not that you can't get them loosened up in the bridle, but I try to go back to the hackamore and just help get all that flexibility back. So, the nice thing about the hackamore is when you engage it, it touches underneath their chin, where the chin strap was communicating with those bits. And so if I can help my horse understand 
how to turn loose the chin strap better without having something in their mouth. Those are the things that I look for. And so a guy named Craig Johnson, a really, really accomplished reining trainer. When he introduces a horse to a bridle, he always tells the, he always tells the rider, don't let them push on the chin strap. Because, you know, everybody wants to know which bit fits their horse. He said, it doesn't matter your bit. It matters how much your horse challenges the chin strap. So those horses that push on the chin strap, whether it be a metal chin strap or a leather chin strap, that hackamore can help turn them loose to where they start giving with their chin a bit more because of the action of the hackamore. So in reverse, you know, the hackamore is a progression from the snaffle and it's ridden before the bridle. But like you said, if, if we get a horse in that's been ridden the bridle a whole bunch, instead of sitting there and getting bigger bits or trying all sorts of different bridles, I can get my horse softened up to the action of the hackamore and therefore they become better in the bridle. So that actually was the question that we were going to go into is like, so how does training in a hackamore set you up to go into a bridle? But I think you just <laughs> took us there. So thanks. <laughs> you bet. Good. So when, what, so the last thing is, how do you know what, what, what three things or, you know, whatever number, what three things that you go, okay, my horse is consistently doing these things. I'm ready to move on to the next stage of the bridal horse tradition. What, what are those things for you? What I look for in the hackmore, uh, when I engage the rank, if my horse does not push, and the push means my horse does not lengthen the reins, that's number one. That's first and foremost. The, and that's why that gentleman, Andy Booth, he took my horsehair and tied it to my reins because my hands didn't understand the lightness. And so when I finally observed, when I pulled the rein, my horse went the opposite way. So that's my first requirement from transitioning from a hackamore into thinking about going to the bridle is when I pull on that rein or bump on that rein, my horse stops. The next thing I want to notice is how well can my horse respond to rhythmic pressure? And some horses, it can scare them. So when I go to bump on that rein, I want to see if my horse can just do the same thing as a steady rein with a bumping rein. And, and, and this is similar to the snaffle. If I can perform my maneuvers one-handed in a hackamore, that means I have a slack rein and, my, and it's beginning the stage of neck reining. It doesn't have to be complete, but if you can ride your hackamore in one hand, now it starts, it's time to start thinking about transitioning to that two rein. So those are the three elements. My horse's initial response to pressure, my horse responding to a rhythmic or a bumping rein, and can I guide my horse holding the reins one hand? So those are, and those are pretty, pretty <laughs> big requirements, but that's, the time, that's why you spend the time in the hackamore, because in my opinion, I think a hackamore horse is one of the most eloquent-looking things uh, that a horse can wear and perform underneath because it's just a, it's an honest test. It's a horse showing that they're not going to purge or push through that nice piece of hack of rawhide around their nose. That, that actually gives me a really clear picture and definitely follows. Uh, I like how it ties back into some of the progressions that you've shared with us with the snaffle. So thank you for taking time to join us today and, 
answer our questions about the Hackamore. We'll move on to the two rain in the next round. So can't wait. Thanks for the question. <laughs> yeah. Well, Thank good. You. Thank you. Yep. Oh, I think. Lindsay, do you have any horses that you ride in a Hackamore right now? I don't. I have I have one Hackmore that I bought from you guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it still just intimidates the heck out of me to ride in it. But I've been kind of like uh, in the probably the last month been wanting to learn more about it. And just I've got one horse in training that I think would it would probably help a lot. Um, just help kind of like get his mind a little bit more in the middle and help him be more grounded and finding the release. Uh, he can be a pretty, he's a really feely horse, but he's also, um, he's really disconnected. So I don't know if that would help him or not. And just kind of, yeah, pretty interested to try him on lots of different horses and just learn how to get better in them and what it, show the ugly truth of what all my horses <laughs> need to be better in. But what about you? Do you have a horse that you ride consistently out there that you ride in the Hackamore or? No, but I think it's one of my, you know, it's whatever Trevor says, okay, you're going to ride this horse and this is what it's in right now. Uh, but I'm like you, I think it's, it's one of my favorite tools, but I do think it is uh, one of the most intimidating and it, it just requires you to be so much more present. So, I don't know. That's what I think. So, I uh, think that's pretty much it. We've, we've gone over the Hackamore. I'm excited to go into the Touraine next time because it's <laughs> – I feel like it's so complicated uh, because now we've got Bridal and the Hackamore and all that. So, it will be – maybe if we talk about the Touraine, it will make the Hackamore seem a little more like a stepping stone than an end goal. So that, that, that might help us both. We thank you guys for, for joining us today. Uh, if you'd like to find out more about the branding events or some of the challenges that we have going on, uh, you can contact me via carterranchhorse.com. Or if you'd like to visit with Lindsay, you can go to the horsesinthemorning.com page and use the contact button. You can also find the links to today's guests and the show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. And Glenn, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to have you be be here with yeah, us. Yeah, it was good to hang out with you guys. You know, not too long ago, Tara, I saw uh, Facebook memories pop up from when we met at Road to the Horse years ago. Yeah. Back in March, I, even, I saw those pop up. It's like, yep, that's where I met you, right? Yeah. And you know, uh, William, our, our oldest, he rides Sailor, which is the it's a horse that we got that year. Oh, that is that right? Met. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so I, I kind of have rode to the horse memories often <laughs> <laughs> when, when William is riding. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt bad for him not being able to do it this year, but there was no way they were going to do it in June. Uh, yeah, but no, yeah. Right. So next year. Yeah, I guess my point of that too is like I know how old that horse is, and I know how old William is, and uh, it's hard to so believe it was long, that long how ago. Long ago was it? Well, I think William was at least. I think he was almost two, and he's seven now. So well, he's almost years. eight. He's almost eight. So wow. it would be maybe six years. Six years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. where Tara and I met for the first time. Uh, we were wandering around, and you guys had a very fancy booth. Yeah, thanks. I'd like to sell that. 
<laughs> if anybody wants to buy a very fancy booth, uh, you can apparently get it no. for cheap right now. She wants to get it out of the house. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was very fancy. All wood. And it was very classy like you, Tara. Oh, thanks. thanks. <laughs> but that's what caught my attention first. And then there was this cowboy girl standing there, and I think we ended up cowboy talking. And that's how it went, you know? It was just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were selling wild rags then, which would be coming in handy right now. Yeah. You were, actually. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You never came back with that booth, did you? That was probably a pain in the ass to carry around. <laughs> we, did, we did the next year. Did you? Uh, and there was a lady there who wanted to buy it for like a wedding. You should have sold it. <laughs> and, and and we were all about it because we even thought, shoot, should we rent a like? Should we if we were going to do it the next year, then we were going to rent a storage unit and keep it there. Like that would have been worth it. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, she couldn't get a hold of the owners in time, and we weren't sticking around. So. <laughs> yeah, pretty much like the whole thing like kind of fell apart at the last minute, and like. The people that were going to buy it ghosted, right? And we're like, oh, we still have to pack it and take it home. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it's awesome once you get it done. But as you're like six people holding up a wall, you think, why did we do this again? This is not helping the case to sell it. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, it was, it's been interesting with Road to the Horse because the, the numbers have kind of declined. Remember the, in those years, it was packed. I mean, you, you can find a seat. And then they kind of went down over the last couple of years. And I didn't know if that was because there are so many events like that now. You know, it's been copied by a million people. So it is going to be interesting to see without a year of it, whether next year will be packed again. That'll yeah. be interesting to see. Yeah, I think there's a lot of factors for sure. Yeah. That well, or it'll be more packed because people will be so excited. That's what to I mean. Just go yeah. out and do something. That's right. Yeah, be, being that it's been a year without, uh, will will it be more crowded? I don't know. We'll find out. Well, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Hey, tomorrow. What's tomorrow's Wednesday? So Jamie and I'll be here tomorrow. We'll have our health segment and everything else that happens. We also want to thank Horseware for their continuing support of the Western episode. We appreciate them as well. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Oh, I'm supposed to play the closing music. You'd think I'd done this before. (laughs) 